Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Men for the Win is sponsored by The Grand Group with Edina Realty. Are you looking to purchase a new home in the Twin Cities area? Or perhaps you're trying to sell your current home? Whether you're upsizing or downsizing, The Grand Group with Edina Realty will meet all of your housing needs. Contact The Grand Group by emailing thegrandgroup at edinarealty.com or call them by phone at 612-817-8751. The Grand Group with Edina Realty, three-time Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine Super Agent Award winners. On this episode, David and Dan recap the Twins' three-game series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win. My name is David Kufus. With me, as always, is Dan Thompson. The Twins lose two of three to the Diamondbacks in Arizona. Dan Thompson had the pleasure of attending in person. This was actually only the third series the Twins have played at Chase Field. And fun fact, Dan, that you had texted me earlier in the week, you and I attended the Twins' most recent game against the D-backs in 2017 at Target Field. I, I'm stunned that it had been that long since two Major League Baseball teams had played in this day and age. And it was because of the oddity of 2020, right? So then the, the schedule got blown up. These teams would have met. It, I, I didn't look, but it might have even been scheduled to be in Arizona that year. Uh, but then they went all NL Central. So it feels like the Twins have seen a lot of NL Central Central teams. Uh, this was really fun. It was a, it's a really cool spot. So have you been to Safeco in, in Seattle or whatever it's called now, T-Mobile Park? No, I haven't. When we were there, the, the Mariners were away when okay. we were visiting, so it, unfortunately. It's a similar setup because Arizona, I don't know if you've heard, is super, super hot most of the baseball <laughs> season. So it's it's a stadium that can you know retract its roof, but it, it's closed right now. But it looks a lot like that, kind of that late 90s ballpark with kind of an industrial-ish look. Great sight lines. It is weird, though, David, to go back to watching baseball in doors when you've yeah. been going to target field for so long so it made me really grateful for the fact that the twins had the wisdom to build an open-air stadium because and it, you can't build an open-air stadium in arizona it wouldn't work anyway it was fun i have lots to say david it was super fun a shame the twins couldn't win more than the one game so a quick question though about the stadium that yellow home run line in center field dan that's stupid that is really weird and actually in batting practice on saturday we watched and somebody hit it over that it's very it seems very arbitrary <laughs> like yeah. like they just let the guy paint a line right across the middle of the wall like put a ledge in there put some flowers yeah, do some they're not playing squash they're not playing <laughs> squash dan thompson like there, it doesn't matter where that ball hits like there should be a breaking point here like it drives me nuts like at the twins game it does bother me a little bit like if it bounces out of the flower you sure. know it bounces out of the flower bed but like for that one, it's just like it hits above the yellow line. You're like, what are you doing? You got like a guy, you got a tennis ump on a chair there looking at it and saying out or in. What is going on? It is there? really far. Like that has to be a pretty dang deep home run to hit that far. Um, but yes, a little bit odd. They also have that pool out in right center. That's it, Nothing got hit anywhere near it this game or this series. But it, it does have its oddities. Um, but it is. It's a nice stadium. It was fun to see. Anytime you go to a different stadium, it's fun. Well, and it did look nice. I was going to ask too. You had texted and it sounded like it on the broadcast that there was a pretty significant portion of Twins fans there. A ton. We talked to a ton of Twins fans as a, as kind of our weekend went on. It felt like there were the highest concentration on Friday. And then as more fans showed up generally Saturday, Sunday, by Sunday, my son and I looked around in our section. We're like, we don't really see any Twins fans here. So by Father's Day, it had kind of, we diluted a little bit, um, but definitely tons of Twins fans. There. It was really fun. Yeah, so I do have to say, then it seems a little bit like we're stalling. And I think maybe because we don't really <laughs> want to get into this series recap, but we should probably go ahead and get started. 
Series Recap. All right, so game one, David. First of all, the Twins, they clearly won game two. Game one and game three were those games they lost. I thought game one was the opportunity that they missed. So they lost this game seven to two. And, and you might think, well, how did they miss an opportunity in a game like that? Well, they had so many runners on base in the first and the second and the third inning. They, were, they had Madison Bumgarner on the ropes. And the fact that they were able to do that, but then Bumgarner got out of trouble and he ended up pitching six innings. And that really was a bummer because this was a winnable game. Yeah, so Smeltzer was on the mound for the Twins, goes four and a third, nine hits, seven runs, six of them earned, two walks, three strikeouts, two home runs given up. And to your point about Baumgartner, it's one of those things we've seen, this happens with Verlander on occasion too, right? Like he's the one who comes to mind where sometimes that first and second inning, before he gets a chance to get in that rhythm, that's when you got to do some damage. And if you don't do the damage, you've missed your opportunity. And that's very much how this outing felt. Yeah, and Buxton starts the game with a home run. So everybody's happy. All the Twins fans there are happy and loud. But then just, again, just some bad luck. So later in that inning, they get a single from Sanchez. And then Luis Rice hits a ground rule double that you got to think Sanchez would have been able to score on, run him with two outs. Then in the second, Kepler gets on. And then Buxton doubles. Kepler wasn't sent. And then the inning is over. So there were just some moments like that. In the third inning, it was the same thing. They loaded the bases and then Celestino grounds into a double play. So just it really easily could have been five to two at that point, five to three and such a different game if you get to the Arizona bullpen early. Yeah, I mean, Twins went two for nine with runners in scoring position. And it did feel very much like you'd said, it's just the worst possible outcomes in those particular situations. And I do have to note here, Dan, if you if you caught it when I read Smeltzer's line, you realize that he had he had seven runs, but only six of them earned. However, Dan Thompson, the error was committed by Smeltzer, which I know is your favorite when it doesn't impact the pitcher's ERA because they committed the error. No, and that was a brutal play. And it was it was one of those many bunts that the Diamondbacks had in this game that were really costly to the Twins. It's like the Twins didn't know how to play these bunts, and, and the Diamondbacks really used that to their advantage. Yeah, well, I'm done talking about this one, Dan. Let's go to the bright spot in the series here, Game 2. Game 2 was fantastic. We were sitting right behind home plate for this one, and the Twins just poured it on. In the third inning, they get six runs. They get three more in the fourth. The Diamondbacks get one in the fifth, but they, it, was, it felt pretty over by then. And they add a, a two-run homer in the seventh from Jeffers, just all. All twins in this game, David. Looking at the pitching lines, too, this is confusing for most Twins fans. Now, let me explain to you guys. They only use two pitchers. I know you think that that's not actually feasible. It's not It's not against the rules. You can have one pitcher pitch the entire game. Incredible. Like, it, it, it is, right? But so Dylan Bundy goes eight innings pitched, four hits, one run, one earned, seven strikeouts, Dan. Now four and three on the series, and then Cotton comes in to clean up to, to close out the ninth. What a performance by Dylan Bundy. And I will caveat this by saying it seemed pretty clear that the Diamondbacks were done with this game after the fifth or sixth inning. Like, <laughs> Bundy's still out there, and, and we're kind of surprised. We're like, it's like, is anybody just going to try to hit the ball hard against this guy? Like, I, there, there was a sense of the white flag being waved, and the biggest white flag was when they sent Hager out to pitch the, ni- the ninth inning, and he got a 1-2-3 inning, which was one of the few, if any, 1-2-3 innings for the Diamondbacks. I will say, so they brought another pitcher named Smith to come out and after Weaver, and he he pitched four innings. I think he had like 90-something pitches as a reliever, and that was really big. I mean, it, it ended up not mattering as much going into game three, but he just chewed up those middle innings and saved the Diamondbacks' bullpen. I mean, both of these teams really didn't have to go to their big arms in their bullpen at all. Because there was no reason to, right? Because the games were out of reach or because their starters performed so well, got deep into the game. We're going to talk a little bit more about the impact of that when we get to Game 3. Uh, a couple of things in Game 2, and this is Luis Arise played sick. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And sick is in 
not the colloquial term, but like he legitimately was throwing up before the game and he comes out and still is two for two, scores a couple runs, gets a walk. And then he comes out mid game. And I was, I was worried, like, did something happen? Did I miss an injury or something like that? Uh, but it turns out it was just because he'd been vomiting earlier in the day. This is the return, Dan, of Alex Kirilov, who comes, goes once for five, two RBIs though. And his hit was a big one, right? His hit scored a couple of runs. So yeah, it wasn't like a huge breakout performance on his way back to the majors, but he still had a very significant hit. And early on too, it wasn't like the game was out of reach at that point. No. And actually, I thought it was really important in game one that he got it at bat late on a pitch hit. It was just to see some pitches. I think he even struck out, but I thought that was really crucial. And we saw him hitting the ball in the air. One of the things that he was doing earlier in his first stint with the majors this season is he was going to hit a lot of ground balls, but he put some pop into the, into the ball. And that was again, really encouraging that he was part of that rally here in game two. All right, well, let's keep pushing here, Dan, game three. Game three. So an exciting game. It was Father's Day. Lots of fans there. We sat kind of, you know, midway down the left field line, which let me tell you, there were a lot of exciting plays down there in this game, but those are bad seats. You can't see really yeah. much of anything. And, you know, my son's trying to peek over people, not great sight lines. And I've realized I don't want to sit in those seats anymore, but that's it. Some fun plays down there. Larnock made a beautiful diving catch. It seemed like the Twins yeah. hit three balls into that corner. That's really where they did their damage. And again, this was a game where the Twins could have done a little bit more early to take some pressure off, but they don't. And then the Diamondbacks, they hit four home runs in this game, including yeah. the biggest one, the Kennedy home run, his first major league hit, sorry, his first major league home run at all was a grand slam in the sixth inning. Yeah, that was definitely the, the backbreaker. No, and we'll have to talk more about that um, as we get into some other segments, because I think we have a lot to say about how uh, that was managed. But it just, you know, Archer was was okay. He went his usual four innings here. Um, I mean, he gave up two runs, three hits, three strikeouts. Not great. Those solo shots. It just, the Twins pitchers just didn't have it in this game. The Archer four inning thing, right? Like, it's like that Pawn Stars meme. You know, where, they, where they're like, okay, I, I'd like you to give me six innings. Best I can do is four, right? Like yes. that's, the Chris, that's the Chris Archer approach here. The thing is, that's not necessarily a problem if you're effective in those four innings. But if you're giving up two runs in four innings, the math doesn't work out for that to be effective for this team. No, and the Twins end up going and the game one for seven with runners in scoring position. They, again, had chances. They got two guys on in the first inning and only was able to score the one run on a double play, of all things. So their bats did not step up in this series. Um, a couple of gameplay things at the stadium, David, that I wanted to talk about. So first of all, and I think Hoags will appreciate this because Hoags has been the mascot, like running the mascot <laughs> race before, right? He talked about that last season. Yeah. So what they do for the Diamondbacks is they have the four most notable players in history for the Diamondbacks, which is a 20-something year history. But here's the deal. In this game, these big-headed players like Randy Johnson and Luis Gonzalez, they're running down the sidelines. And one's clearly got like a big advantage. And then one guy like turns around and like points in the other direction to like try to trick the other mascots and then runs the <laughs> other way. And I realize it's all staged. And it, and that was so disappointing to me because in, as we know from Hogue's experience, like it's not staged in Minnesota, no. right? Like they're trying to win. I was so disappointed. Why can't we let them try to win? Yeah, I mean, and all that money you put on that race, Dan, is just burnt now. <laughs> and the other thing was they have this little kid race with they have ketchup, mustard, and uh, pickle relish. And the kids just run in place. And it's one of those digital things. And I'm right. Why can't they just let the kids run? Like, come on. Come on, Diamondbacks. Be better. So those are my two stadium gripes. I'm going to move on. That's all I, mean, I got. I'd love to give you a Guardy's gripe for that, Dan, <laughs> but that was 
That was pretty. Uh... I can't do that about about the mascots. Um, all in all, you know, a disappointing series because I thought there were two winnable games in here. The third one got away from them. Again, wish they could have borrowed some runs from that second game and and maybe spread them out a little more to make it uh, make it a series win. But in, in the end, the Twins finished this road trip three and three, win the series in Seattle, lose the series in Arizona. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's really disappointing after the gauntlet of the AL East, and then you go to Seattle and you go to Arizona, like, man, you're thinking five out of six isn't out of the question here. That's a really good point. It was disappointing, and now they've got the Guardians coming to town, uh, and a lot of Guardians games here over the next couple weeks. Let's keep going, Dan. Puckett's picks time. Catch them all, Kirby Puckett! Puckett's picks winner. I'm watching Carlos Correa and all these big spots fail. <sighs> I, I do take solace in the fact that I don't think anybody was going to beat Buxton this series. So you get the win with Buxton with nine points. The listeners took Luisa Rise, who had a great series, but again, singles machine, has seven points. Correa, my first negative in a long time, David. I like to see it, Dan. I got to be honest with it. And you know, this is only the second time I've gotten to pick Buxton, and it's the first time he's won for me. Well, congratulations. So now the Thank season you. series. So David, you have the lead now with nine victories, and the listeners and I each have Six. So there you go. Let's, uh, I don't want to do this segment anymore, David. Let's keep moving. Beast versus Bench. Is losing fun? Is losing fun. Beast versus Bench time, Dan. Who do you got as your beast? I went with Luis Arise because he was on base so, so much in this series. In game one, he gets two hits. Game two, two hits plus a walk. Game three, gets another hit and scores the Twins' only run. Like, he was just everywhere on the base paths. And also, I hadn't noticed because I haven't been able to go to a game yet this year. He has this weird quirk where every pitch in the field when he's playing second base, he walks up, like, grabs some dirt, tosses it, and then walks back. Have you noticed this? No, he I hasn't played a lot actually. of second base. Maybe it was just—I don't think it was just an Arizona thing. So you got to watch next time he's playing. Um, look for look between pitches. What Luis Rice does? He's he's kind of one of those guys that has these odd—not odd, but he he's definitely a, a creature of shall we say some habits uh, yes, as a baseball definitely. player. So that was one that stuck out to me at the plate. Certainly, <laughs> I, I just hadn't noticed it in the field. So yeah, you'll I'll have to keep my eyes. You'll have to now. look. Who uh, who's your beast, sir? So I debated a little bit between Buxton and Miranda. I'm going to give it to Buxton because he won me Puckett's picks. He did only play in two of the three games, but that's sort of par for the course that it is right now. But Miranda also only played in two of three games. He technically came in as a replacement in game two. However, he had a very good series. So he's starting to come around. He went two for four in game one with an RBI, one strikeout. Again, game two, he didn't he didn't play. He came in as a late replacement. Then game three, he goes two for three. So Miranda, we were ragging on Miranda pretty hard, Dan. For I, was, a little bit there. I was more than you it's were, I think, especially with Kirilov sitting down in the minors and people are waiting for him to get called up but Miranda is starting to show Dan that he does belong at the major league level right now let's uh let's go to the, the bench who do you got on your bench so I hate to do this Dan because this is sort of your mo but I am going to take Devin Smeltzer as my bench and the only reason being Yes, there are some other people who, who are pretty deserving, especially on the on the defensive side of the ball. But Smeltzer only goes four and a third, and he had a throwing error. It's just a rough outing, and it's, again, one of those things, as more and more pitchers get back healthy, like, Smeltzer's not a lock. Like, he's a lock for mm -hmm. now, I'd say. But if he starts to trend downward, if teams start sort of picking up on what he's doing, the Twins aren't going to give him infinite leash, right? Like, they do have other options. Who, who are who could be just as effective right like it's basically wild cards when it comes to the starting pitchers for the twins and who they're calling up yeah that was his first loss of the season his era is up to 3.52 and that play in the error he really should have just eaten the ball he had no business trying to make that throw and, and again that, that, that changed the tenor of the game that's sort of what cemented it in my mind right like if he didn't have that throwing error, he's probably not on my bench but that one was pretty costly i david am gonna go with a position player here what a position player who 
yeah, he had a good game too. I'm going to go with Carlos Correa. And it was more because it seemed like, <laughs> is, is this because he was my buckets pick? And he, is yes. That what you're yes. And he scored negative. No. You're just bitter, Dan but That's Thompson. not why. My goodness. Because in game one, he was 0 for 4 with a strikeout and a couple guys left on base. He was part of the rally in game two, and that was great. But he did leave five guys on base in game two. And then in game three, he was up in big spots, struck out once, left three guys on base. He got booed pretty loudly the first at bat, and then people kind of lightened up afterwards. So I I do credit the Diamondbacks fans for knowing their baseball history in that way. But I just thought he was in some big spots that really could have changed the games one and games three, and he didn't step up. We're going to go ahead and chalk some of this up to Dan just being salty about (laughs) Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little. with, With that, let's go to Rocco's Rewind. Rocco's Rewind. David, this is the other guy that I would have put on my bench, but I wanted to talk about him here. So Caleb Thielbar, who is actually, can we say he's quietly having a pretty bad season or is it a loud bad season? Uh, is he quietly having a because bad season? Because his ERA is 6.56 and it didn't, I don't remember that, uh, but he gave up, obviously he gave up the grand slam in game three and I thought here Rocco needed to pull him earlier. He did not have his stuff and the fact that they didn't have a righty warming up when the Twins couldn't afford to give up runs in that inning he loads the bases and then gives up the grand slam to buddy kennedy i just thought come on rocco you you can't leave field bar in yeah 31 pitches is not nothing for a reliever and i feel a little bit hypocritical saying that because i've definitely complained that rocco pulls relievers too early especially if they're being effective but this was not effective dan this is the opposite of effective no and especially because they could have left griffin jackson griffin jacks did give up home run in the previous inning but he only threw 16 pitches and we've talked about this before why isn't griffin jacks getting used like a longer arm when he's being effective at it. I don't get that. Yeah, well, it does look like Thornburg is going to be sort of the new long guy, at least the way that, that Rocco used him in game one. Well, and that's part of your rewind, isn't it? Yeah, so I really appreciated Rocco managing the loss as well. Again, uh, <laughs> one of Rocco's best skills as a manager. But so in game one, he went to Thornburg for two and two thirds and then Duffy to finish out the game. It's great to see Duffy in positions that don't matter. That's when I want to see <laughs> Duffy on the mound, at least until he can sort himself out. Like, I get that he was effective, but we've talked about this far too often now that any position that Duffy has come in when it's even a medium leverage, not even a high leverage situation, Duffy has struggled. So in these games, yeah, I think when the Twins are down 7-1, 7-2, that's a great time to put Tyler Duffy on the mound, Dan Thompson. There was one point, too, where he gave up a fly ball that didn't go for a home run. David really brought down that average, that fly ball well, home that run deep, percentage. It's that deep center field, it I was, think, is what I think let him get away with too. that. <laughs> So um, there were a lot of balls in deep center. I'm thinking, oh, that might be a home run at target field. But uh, Buxton was able to kind of feel for the ball. And and luckily, there were a lot of moments, by the way, in the series. Buxton looked like he was going to run into that wall, and he did not. So I don't know if he's even played. He's never played center in that field before. I was really happy he uh, he left unscathed. Anyway, let's go on to the uh, to the Minnesota moment. Minnesota moment. This is tougher, Dan, because there's only one game that it was really any good. And so I'm going to go with the defensive side of the ball. I got to say Bundy going eight innings is going to be my moment. I just think the first guy in the Twins rotation to get through eight. And I think it needs to be applauded because if this team is going to make a run, Dan, you're going to need better performances and longer outings by your starters. And Bundy had his last start skipped. So maybe that worked. And one other quick note, I didn't want to make this my moment, but I did want to note in game two, it was great to see the Twins win that game in the way that they did without Buxton. Absolutely. And I was a little disappointed because that meant he wasn't even out for batting practice. We went early to to try to catch some and uh, didn't get to see Buxton hit. But so he really did have a day off. Like, I don't even think I saw him out on the field uh, before that game. So my moment is going to be offensive. It's going to be Sanchez's home run in game two. Just an exclamation point on the rally in the third inning to make it six nothing. 
Six nothing feels very different than four nothing when you're on the road, especially with a guy like Bundy who has been shaky on the mound. But it felt like that really put this game out of reach. Anytime they can they can do what they've done this year, which is just pile on the runs, it just makes you feel better as a Twins fan, especially when they lose two out of three. Days. Well, yeah, and some of that can be a criticism in the sense that, well, where is this offense in other games? But I, I do think that is important that they're not playing a bunch of those close games. They are putting games away. They obviously need to get be in some more games. I get that too, but I don't see that as something that's like a, well, where's the offense in the other games? I think there's a lot of other factors that go into that. Well, let's push forward here, Dan. Mauer's musings. I just don't know how it can get any better. Mauer's musings. Speaking of poor bullpens, the Twins are not great. And I don't know if you know this, Dan, but the Twins bullpen have given up the second most home runs in all of baseball. Second only to the Chicago Cubs. And recently, Dan, a guy we just saw, actually, Sergio Romo has just become available. Would you pick up Sergio Romo right now? Even with his eight-point-something ERA? Yeah, I actually would because he's a known commodity for this team, and I think he could bring some energy. And my goodness, I mean, his ERA is going to fit right in. And here's the thing. Now that the Twins and every Major League team can only have 13 pitchers on their roster, this is a another one of those rules, David, that we love so much that were instituted before 2020, and then they kind of took it away during COVID, and then they're bringing them back bit by bit. So this starts as of June 20th. Now, you can only have 13 pitchers on your on your roster. It's just it's ridiculous when they make these rules midseason. Totally. Like, I hate these sort of pairing downs, and then, like, you know, the September call-ups, that's just sort of historical. I don't know when that started, but that's been a while that that's been the rules. But so when you're doing these roster changes halfway through the season, I hate it, Dan. Terrible thing. And that's actually why Romo got released. At least he was part of that. His ERA obviously had something to do with it. So I we'll see. I mean, we'll see if anybody picks him up here. Um, my musing is going to be about Polanco. And I wonder now, because there's a lot of moving factors in this. I, I wonder what happens when Polanco returns to this lineup. Yeah, I think Gordon is the likely candidate to get sent down. Maybe Celestino. But I think there's no way that you put Garlic back on this roster unless you're planning to use him. I think that's true. I do wonder if Larnak is in danger at all of being sent down because it seems like Kirilov is going to stay the way that he he played, at least in this series. I just think this Guardian series is going to be pretty big if somebody slumps, especially one of those guys that's not established yet fully on the roster. Even Miranda. I mean, I think I could see them sending him back down. There's sort of a position logjam because Kirilov and Miranda can both play first, but Kirilov and Larnak can both play left. And now that Arise is playing second while Polanco's down, it just gets really messy to try and figure out when are you giving these guys playing time? And the hardest decision right now is who do you give it to? Right. And you mentioned garlic. I mean, I was surprised that we didn't even see garlic pinch hit in game three at all, because there were some moments when a lefty was on the mound and I thought they could really use garlic's 120, 1200 OPS or whatever it is against lefties. That's all he does, Dan. Mash taters and lefties. That's all he did. All right. Well, we got to grade this series now. Series grades. So I'm going to go ahead and chalk up your grade, Dan, to you having a nice time with your son getting away. (laughs) having some alone time, having that bonding, the father-son bonding. I gave him a D, and I even thought that was charitable, Dan Thompson. (laughs) I saw your grade. That's exactly my thinking. I had a lovely experience at the stadium. This grade, had we recorded this on Sunday when I was fresh in the glow of it, literally the glow of of Phoenix's sun, I was going to go higher uh, than the (laughs) C-minus, but I went with the C-minus because (laughs) by the morning light, this series didn't look great. Um, Aside from the bright spots in game two, there just weren't enough other bright spots. Dan's like it's an A it's an A definitely (laughs) might have been might have been a B minus I think it was a letter grade there uh, that I was ready to improve it all right well let's go on to Herbie's headline Dan Thompson I don't know Jack it looked like Herbeck pulled him off the bag Herbie's headlines so I need to say something folks 
We were discussing what we wanted to talk about for Herbie's headline prior to the podcast, doing our pre-production meeting, and Dan goes, Dan Thompson, lifelong Twins fan. If there's one thing we know about Twins fans, we've commented on the podcast how people don't want to listen. They do not want to listen about the Yankees. They don't want to listen about the Yankees playing the Twins and beating the Twins. And Dan goes, you know, what if we just talk about how good the Yankees have been lately? <laughs> What are you smoking, Dan Thompson? Is it legal in Arizona? Is that what it is? I know I know in Spokane it's probably legal, but my goodness, what were you what were you on, Dan Thompson, to suggest that we should talk about the Yankees on the Twins podcast? They are really good this year though, David. And they've got a ton of former twins, it feels like too. I mean, they were like fifty and seventeen or something like that. Like that's remarkable. That's like that's one of the greatest starts of all time. I just thought as a as a neutral podcast, we might need to talk about that neutral neutral we're not a baseball general podcast dan we're all about the twins this is all we do you know we just spent the last 20 minutes talking about the twin series right like we didn't talk about all the other series in baseball dan we we did not no um i'm just that's, i feel like now we're talking about it without without talking about it david that's what we're you doing. kept pushing i just wanted to make fun of you and then you decided to work in why you wanted to talk about them anyway dan do you have something else you wanted to talk about here for this segment yeah i want to talk about your men mercedes who if you remember if you remember last season dan there was a time when the turtle was on the mound and there was a 3-0 count and the turtle threw through his quote-unquote fastball to Mercedes against the White Sox and the Twins are down a ton of runs. Like, it's not close. I mean, obviously, the turtle's on the mound. And Mercedes just turns on it and just crushes the ball. And there was a big uproar about unwritten rules and stuff. And, like, there was a whole bunch of Twitter battles about, well, is it okay because there's a position player on the mound? It's like, well, if you don't want that to happen, don't put a position player on the mound. And people go round and round and round about that. But so here's the thing. Last year, Mercedes was the rookie of the month in April with the White Sox. He has since been released and now has gotten picked up by the Giants and is mashing in the minor league system, Dan. So it's one of those things we might see him now with the Giants. It's just odd that a guy who he's not that old, he's 28, I think, you thought he might get more of a chance at the major league level. And David, in August, the Giants actually come to Minnesota, so we'll see if he's there. Obviously, La Tortuga's no longer with the Twins, but um, maybe he'll... he'll he could maybe... be, Dan. Trade deadline, <laughs> trade deadline acquisition. The Twins are going to trade away some players for the Turtle. He's just been mashing with the Marlins, Dan. <laughs> yes, nothing bring quite adds to They're a playoff bring run. Back... No, you need to have the turtle, and then they're going to call up Jake Cave. It's going to be the best. It's going to be a reunion tour. Can't wait, Dan Thompson. They're going to call up Brian Dozier, see if he can come out of retirement, do some dancing for him to, to energize the team around the trade deadline. And to bolster the rotation, they could trade for Kyle Gibson. It would be fantastic. Just get the whole gang well, that, back together. Okay, that one we could actually maybe get behind Dan Thompson. It's a little different than the, the first two were sarcastic. Now you're getting into serious considerations, Dan. All right, we, uh, we should move on to Puckett's Picks. And we'll see you Puckett's Picks. So me as the victor, and Hoag's actually is going to be filling in on the next podcast. Dan is just going to be gallivanting, taking his time around the world. So it's going to be a lot of me and Hoag's in these coming weeks. But so this Guardian series, it's a big series. Twins only have a one-game lead now against the Guardians. So they have the Guardians at home. Twins need to come away with a series victory to keep the lead in the AL Central. Hoag's is going to take Buxton off the board, Dan. Who do you got? Gosh, it, can I... I think I have to go with the rise, the singles machine. I think he's been too good, and I think he's going to do well against against the Guardians. I'll go with the rise. 
You really want that singles machine thing to stick, don't you? I Well, it's just I don't love picking him for that reason. But when the guy is going to solidly get you five, six, seven points in a series, it's hard to go any other way. Well, I have to take Correa. I mean, we talked about this last episode. These are going to be the three guys off the board for a while unless injury precludes them from being selected. I thought about Kirilov. Let the record show. I thought about Kirilov in this spot. But then the, the ridicule that I would get. Uh, I just I wasn't ready for that when I wasn't going to be there to defend myself in the next podcast. So I'm, I'm making the safe pick. I'm going with the rise. Good choice, Dan. Well, hey, since they're not going to be hearing your voice much in the next couple of weeks, why don't you go ahead and send us out? Well, folks, if you'd like what you hear, please tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Men for the Win. You can find our Men for the Win Facebook page. You can find us on YouTube as well. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in any of those spots so you're notified when new episodes are available. And if you could leave us a rating, that would be great. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Twins. That'll wrap up another episode of Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, go Twins.